of Acts. In the book of Acts, Christ is the resurrected Lord. He is the resurrected and glorified Lord of all. And we can trust Him because we serve a living Savior, a risen Savior. In the book of Acts, He is the resurrected Lord. Two weeks ago, we covered Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four, four Gospels. And in Matthew, we saw that Christ is king. In Mark, he is servant. In Luke, he is portrayed as man. And in John, he is God. Uh, the gospel accounts are given in this fashion, are given in such a manner, in order to complete the picture of who the Son of God is. Just one gospel account could not have covered every aspect of just exactly who God in the flesh is. It couldn't have covered all of the Old Testament declarations about who Christ is. We find that the Old Testament says, Behold your king. And Matthew portrays him as king. God's word says, Behold your servant. And Mark, in the gospel, portray him as servant. Luke, behold your man. And John, behold your God. The doctrinal conflicts in churches today are caused primarily because the, this book, the book of Acts, is not rightly divided. It is not understood the way it needs to be understood. As we open God's Word, as we study God's Word, we are told that we are to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We need to see, we need to understand Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, early Acts as a part of the continued revelation of God's message to the nation of Israel that what we have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and early part of Acts is a continuation of what God was doing in and through the nation of Israel. It is my, it is my opinion that the reason there is so, mis, so much misunderstanding, so much difficulty, as, is because the churches today do not distinguish between God's program, God's plan, God's promises for the nation of Israel, and they confuse it with the church, the body of Christ, the, what God is dealing with today. God was dealing with a nation, the nation of Israel. Today, He is not dealing with a nation. You are not a nation, body. You are a body. To make those distinctions are absolutely imperative. They're necessary in order for you to understand God's marching orders for the church, the body of Christ today, as we are about, are about to show.
the early part of Acts, is a continuation of the four Gospels. It is a historical accounting of God's prophesied program. It's a fulfillment of so many of the Old Testament prophecies concerning what the Messiah was going to do when he comes. Especially Joel, especially Isaiah, especially Zechariah. I mean, well, actually all of them. All of them point to Israel's Messiah and the promises concerning all that this Messiah would do. All during Matthew, all during Mark, all during Christ's earthly ministry of Luke and John and God's earthly ministry or God's ministry uh, in, in Acts as the, the scriptures reveal to us all have everything to do with God's prophetic program to Israel and it's part of a historical accounting of what God is doing, is doing there. A misinterpretation of the book of Acts will lead you on a doctrinal doomsday directive where you are not going to understand scriptures and I got news for you, there'll come a time when you're not even preaching the proper, correct doctrine of salvation. That's why it is so important that we rightly divide the word of truth. Not seeing Acts as an accounting of Israel's rejection and failure to do what God's word said they needed to do, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, not to see that clearly and confuse that with what God is doing today in the church is what causes so much doctrinal error and confusion and causes so much controversy in the local church today. The signs and wonders associated with the Christ earthly ministry, the signs and miracles associated when Christ walked on earth, the signs and miracles associated with the early part of Acts all point to exactly what the Messiah was to do as proof positive that this man from Nazareth, this Jesus of Nazareth, this Yahshua of Nazareth was indeed Israel's anointed one. He was their Messiah. And so that earthly ministry of Christ, what he came doing was a sign to Israel, this is him. As a matter of fact, the book of John tells us that Christ did so many miracles. We only have a few of them. He did so many miracles that all the libraries in the world up to that point would not be large enough to contain if they were all written down. That kind of gives you an idea of the amount of miracles that he performed as proof positive that he was exactly who he said he was. But just to make sure, just to make sure Christ was resurrected and he ascended to heaven and then he came and he proved to the disciples with many infallible proofs that he was indeed the Messiah. This is what Acts 1 tells us. 
that he came, he appeared to them, he taught the disciples as they were waiting, from the, waiting for the promise of the Father, which was the coming, uh, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, as they tarried for that, as they were commanded to do, he proved to them by virtue of his, re- I mean, his resurrection, that, that was a lot, right? I mean, just, they saw him die. They saw him crucified. They saw it happen. They saw the nails driven into his hands. They saw the thorn. They saw the pierce, the, the sword pierce his side. They saw all of that. They saw the beating. They saw every aspect of it. But God so loves those folks that he wants to make sure with many infallible proofs, I'm exactly who I say I am. So for 40 days after the resurrection, he proves himself to be Israel's Messiah. But see, where the church today gets bogged down, and I think is in serious error, it's because they don't distinguish between what Christ came to do on earth concerning the nation of Israel and what God is doing today in the church, the body of Christ, which was a mystery, which was hid in God, which was not revealed until it was revealed midway through Acts to the chief of sinners, Saul of Tarsus, and that mystery concerning a joint body made up of Jew and Gentiles, that entity that God was going to work through, and he's been working through now for the last 2,000 years. As a matter of fact, the reason the book of Acts is so important is because it acts as a hinge between the Gospel of John and Romans. Can you imagine if it went from right from the book of John to the book of Romans, you'd be scratching your head and go, who is this Paul? Where in the world did he come from? With his justification by faith alone? With his teaching that we're under grace, not the law? Wait a minute. Paul, who told you that? Who told you that? Acts acts as a hinge. It's a it is an a historical a, a historical accounting between John and Romans. Think about this. In the Gospels, Christ tells his disciples to go into world, go into the world, and if to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It's what, it's what Christ told them. Go ye therefore into all the world. And he says, I want you to observe all the things that I've commanded you to do. Have you ever done a study of all the things Christ commanded the apostles to do? Number one was to keep the law of Moses. To obey those in Moses' seat. That means obey the law keep the law. And in Acts 21, James and those that were saved, those kingdom saints that were looking for Christ to come back as their Messiah, 
when Paul finally comes to Jerusalem, James takes him and says, look at all these guys. They are zealous for the law. That's not what Paul had been preaching. That's not what he had been teaching. But that's what was still in effect in that part, part of Acts. But they were still observing the things that Christ had told them to observe. Keep the law of Moses. You know what else Christ? I mean, there's, there's so many. We're not going to be able to get in all of them. But you know what Christ also tell the disciples to do? To sell everything you have and give it to the poor. How many of you have sold everything you have and given it to the poor? Matter of fact, aren't you glad the Great Commission's not for us today? Because there's not a church anywhere that is keeping the Great Commission. We have a greater commission, by the way, folks. I'm not making light of the so and the, the, the Matthew 28, what's been termed the Great Commission, nowhere in the scripture does it call it the Great Commission. Yes, Christ sent the disciples out, he sent the apostles out. He gave them instruction, but it had to do with the kingdom of heaven at hand. The king was about to be offered. It all had to do with the nation of Israel. And what his instructions were was that they were to sell everything they have. They were going to come together. They were preparing for the tribulation. That's exactly what they did in Acts chapter 4. The Lord Jesus was not, uh, he was not, Supporting communism, socialism, Marxism. Don't you believe that garbage? Besides, it wasn't the government taking it. It was the people giving it, preparing for those, that tribulation time that was at hand. So, Christ, I want you to observe all the things that I've told you to do. Plus, Christ told them to take no thought of what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where are you going to live? He was preparing them for the next item on the prophetic agenda, and that was the tribulation. That's what was coming next. Because the period of time that we're in right now, this church age, it was still a very special thing to be revealed. Hidden in God. Not hidden in the scriptures, as Brother Joel talked about last week but hidden in God. And then it's a special revelation that is going to be given to the chief of sinners by God's grace concerning this present, this present time. When you compare obey the law of Moses, sell what you have, take no thought, and the emphasis on the kingdom of heaven and on earth, and the rule of the apostles, the, rule, the apostles are to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. By the way, that's why in Acts chapter 1, the apostles asked the Lord a very important question. It's a very significant question. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. We're going to go there anyway, so might as well get started. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. While we're there, I'll say this. It's a sharp contrast compared to what Christ told the disciples, the apostles to do with that special revelation given to Paul that we're not under the law, we're under grace. There is 
even the plan of salvation. Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You men of Judea, you men of Israel, you who have gathered together on this annual Jewish feast day in Jerusalem. They said, what must we do? When they were pricked to the hearts, when Peter accused them of crucifying the Messiah, what must we do? By the way, they were devout men who were gathered. By virtue of the fact that they were there and obeying the law, because the law stated they had to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They were devout men. They believed God. They came there to offer the proper sacrifices. They were Hebrews of Hebrews of Hebrews. They believed God's word. They were there to honor God. They were devout men. Dare I say they were already saved men according to the Old Testament? They already had that relationship required by virtue of being Jewish, being part of the nation of Israel. They didn't, you go back in Acts chapter 2, they didn't come and say, Sirs, what must we do to be saved? What must we do? What did Peter say? Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. What sin had they just horrendously committed? They crucified the Messiah. Israel's Messiah. That's what they were told to do. So anyway, when you do a comparison, you understand why the book of Acts is so important historically to say why to show why there's such a big difference between John and, and Romans. But anyway, to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, book written by Luke, same Luke who wrote the book of Luke. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. You know, Matthew records that, the others, Mark. Verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. That's what they were looking for. Christ had taught them to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he was talking about. And you know what their first question was to him? Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? You don't think that's not a significant question? Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember what had happened back in the time of Nebuchadnezzar? When Israel had gone into captivity, and they were in captivity for seven, 70 years, and Daniel's prophecy 
And I know I keep talking about it, but folks, I'm telling you, it is so important that we understand Daniel's prophecy of 70, Daniel's 70 weeks, 490 years. And at the end of that 490 years, that is going to be when the Lord Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom. It's all there when, the, when the, you, you can read all about what is going to happen at the end of that 490 years. But there's also something that's going to happen after 483 years. And that is the Messiah is going to be killed. The Messiah is going to be cut off, not for himself, but for the sins of the world. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, it's included in that 483 years. And then Daniel's 70th week, that's the tribulation period. That starts, and at the end of that time is when Christ comes, 490 years are complete, Christ comes and establishes his, his kingdom, and it's the end of the transgression. It's the end of the fullness of of the Gentiles. The Gentiles no longer control Israel. God himself is back on the throne. That's what that, that, God's word gives them an exact timing. So it makes sense for the disciples to say, um, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And by the way, he told them, you're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes? What that... They, they were, that's important to them. But will you now restore the kingdom? That's what their forefathers and others had talked about when, when David and Solomon and, and, all the, and all the things that went on. Well, are you going to restore it to Israel? Remember, they were under Roman rule, Roman authority. Yeah, they had a puppet king. Herod was a puppet king. But he was not really a king. He was not even Jewish. Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Understanding that that required the Lord Jesus himself to sit on his throne. That's what they were looking for. Isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that when Christ was arrested... The apostles scattered. Isn't it interesting when Christ was crucified? They doubted. They scattered. They fled. But something made a difference. They saw him die. But folks, they also saw him alive. And you talk about courage, you talk about purpose, you talk about an understanding of what God is doing. That's what, that's what the book of Acts is all about. Yes, he was crucified, but now here, this historical account by Luke shows you exactly the impact that had on the apostles. They had denied, but wow. Their business now was serving. Their business now was to do exactly what Christ had told them to do. And part of that is to wait for the Father. Look, look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. 
But being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. We don't have time to go into all the scriptures, but you know what the promise of the Father was? The coming of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It was the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's what took place on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish holiday. The word Pentecost simply means 50th. 50th. So after the Passover and the celebration, feast of first fruits, 50 days later, something was going to happen. They weren't sure what was going to happen, but they were still in faith observing what it was God told them to do. Hey, and just like Daniel has 490 years, Daniel's 70th weeks, well, Pentecost it's, has 49 too. It was 49 days, the next day the Feast of Pentecost, and God was going to show himself powerful, powerful. And that's why the day of Pentecost, that's not the beginning of the church. The church was, the body of Christ was still a mystery. So many churches want to start the church there, and they say, well, that's when the Holy Spirit fell. That's when the Holy Spirit empowered these disciples who were part of, of the prophecies in Malachi, said the Messiah is going to come. The Gospels is a historical account of the Messiah coming. Early part of Acts, it's all part of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Probably when you try to start the church, the body of Christ, on the day of Pentecost, it just doesn't fit. It's a round peg in a square hole. You're trying. It just doesn't make sense. With those signs and wonders and all the things that, that went on there. Their first order of business after they saw Christ ascend into heaven, and the angel said, why do you men, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? This same Christ that's taken up into heaven is going to come in like manner. And they left there, they gathered together, and their first order of business was to elect, to select another apostle. If you're going to have 12 apostles sitting on 12 thrones, what do you need? And you just lost one. Judas, what are you going to need to do? You're going to need to select another one. And I've, I've heard dear brothers that they love God. I know they love God by faith. They've trusted Christ. And they just say, well, they, they really got ahead of God because God was really going to choose Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Do you know that Saul of Tarsus did not qualify? See, the, God's Word wants us to study the Scriptures. He wants us to know the Scriptures. And the reason this is important is you, you need to see these things so that when you pick this up, this book is more than just a book that tells you how to live. I mean, it does do that. Or, and tells you why we live, I mean, and it does do that. But it helps clarify how we should live, why we should live. We have different marching orders. If you don't rightly divide, if you don't see these distinctions, you're going to take this and you're going to be confused all the way through it.
So here we have them selecting the next person to take Judas's place. And God's word is so clear. It is so look at look at verse 21 of Acts 1. Verse 20, then verse 21. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Who's that talking about? Talking about Judas. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, so that was the first qualification, whoever selected had to be somebody that knew Christ in his earthly ministry, that was it had to be somebody that knew Christ on, as he walked on earth, that witnessed the miracles. Be, verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the same day that he was taken up from us, must be one ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So there are three, three qualifications. They had to witness the resurrection. They had to be there from the very beginning, be there from the baptism of John, and witness all of that. Saul of Tarsus, he wouldn't have qualified. Couldn't be Saul. Saul was an apostle, but, but he's our apostle. He's the apostle, the Gentiles. He's... he's the one that God raised up, the one apostle for the one body, not part of the 12, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. See, it all fits. It all fits. God is so faithful to making sure that he hands us his word, and he says, study this. It's there for you to understand and for you to see. And so that's exactly what they do. They pick Matthias. The lot falls on Matthias. And as soon as that happens, they're, chapter 2, they're all gathered on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come, which means on the 50th day. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. See, there was no fire that fell from heaven. It was a sound that came from heaven. And then the cloven tongues appeared on their head as an indication that, ooh, something's going on. And they all spoke so that every Jewish person there, regardless of where they're from, could understand the glorious truth of what was happening. And people, they, they were amazed. And some people said, uh, this, they're drunk, as they were speaking in tongues. Everybody heard them speak in their own language. The one, verse 11, the, says, in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. It's what was going on. It was not jibber-jabber. It was not, they weren't praying. They were declaring what was taking place, Israel Isaiah 26 and 28, I can't remember right now, says that with stammering lips or stammering tongues, he was going to declare that truth. That's exactly what was happening. Somebody went, hey, whoa, wait, wait, didn't Isaiah say this? How important it is for their mind to race back to what God's Word said. Ah, uh, they're drunk. They're just drunk. 
Peter stands up and he says, they're not drunk. They're not drunk. And he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel. Didn't we just go through Joel? Is Joel an Old Testament prophet? Let me give you a hint. Yeah. Joel is an Old Testament prophet. Joel's prophecy concerned the tribulation beginning. Joel's prophecy had nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ. It had everything to do with God's timing, perfect timing concerning the nation of Israel. What Joel didn't know, any of the apostles here didn't know, any of the Old Testament prophets didn't know, that there was something gloriously, wonderfully hid in God where he was going to offer salvation to sinners like you by grace apart from the nation of Israel. So Joel was an Old Testament prophet. So when, when Peter stands up and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, right there tells you that it couldn't have been the church, the body of Christ. It couldn't have anything to do with the mystery because Paul later to Ephesians, to the church in Rome, to the church in Colossians, is going to talk about how that revelation that was given to him was a mystery not known by any of those people, but is now made manifest. You know what the word now means? Right then. Right then. So when Peter declared that, he was equating something that was absolutely tied to the nation of Israel and tied to Daniel's 70th weeks. And they were expecting the tribulation. That was next on the prophetic agenda. They were getting ready for the tribulation. The time of Jacob's trouble, the time that Daniel had talked about was going to be a tribulation such as never has been before. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 had said the tribulation like has never been before or will ever happen again. That's what they were preparing for. That's what they were getting ready for. Acts chapter 3, something glorious, wonderful happens. In Acts chapter 3, you have Peter and John at the temple and there's a lame man that sits next to the temple. He's begging. And as he's begging, Peter says to him, Gold and silver have I none, but such as I have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, take up your bed and walk. And you know what that man did? He took up his bed and he walked. Not only did he walk, he leaped. Wow, if there was only an Old Testament verse that talked about this very type thing happening as an indication, wow, wouldn't that be tremendous? Wouldn't that be startling? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, folks, that's what Isaiah 35 is all about. It talks about the lame man leaping. It talks about the deaf man hearing. It talks about the blind man seeing. It talks about what Christ of Naz the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, 
was going to do. As a matter of fact, Tim, go to Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Isaiah 35. And Isaiah 35 is all about the behold the coming kingdom. Start with verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Talking about the tribulation. That's what the tribulation is all about, right? Even God with recompense, and he will come and he save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Oh, what a promise. Go back to Acts chapter 3, verse 8, well, verse 7. And he took him by the right hand, and he lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength, and he, leaping up, and walked and entered into the temple, uh, entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And the next thing, Peter says, why are you guys standing in such amazement? I, we didn't do this. We didn't do this. God did this. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why he looks so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and you denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You talk about courage. Remember, this is the same guy that denied him. Remember, this was the same guy that said, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. It's the same guy that hit himself. You talk about courage. Now he's saying, you crucified him. Where did that boldness come from? It came because of the resurrection. And by the way, the boldness we have in these last days, in these perilous times, it's going to come from the resurrection also that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That, that's where our strength and boldness and determination to stand on the word of God is going to come from. So it's the same, same resurrection power. That's where Peter, Peter got it. Verse 15, you kill the prince of life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Here we go. And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did your rulers. But these things which God before has showed by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
physical presence. Repent in order that the times of refreshing, which was another name for the millennial kingdom, can happen. This was the offer. This was the official offer of the kingdom. It was a continuation of everything the prophets had talked about, that Daniel had talked about, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You name the prophet, they were talking. Well, as a matter of fact, that's what he says. For, Mo- for Moses truly said unto the fathers, uh, Oh, verse, verse 18. Kind of lost the moment there. Actually lost the verse. Verse 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. They were all talked, all the prophets. This is those Old Testament prophets concerning Israel, God's promises to Israel were all focused in on this happened here. Look at down to verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after have foretold and spoken and have likewise foretold of these days. But see, it's in in Acts. We're almost done. In Acts, we have Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, rejecting the Messiah. And you know the reason they rejected him? Because of the resurrection. By the way, there were two sets of religious leaders in Israel, sort of like Democrats and Republicans, and they were always fighting for control. Do you know who had control during this time? The Sadducees. The Sadducees would be considered the real liberal, not believing. What was two things that the Sadducees, God's word tells us the Sadducees did not believe in? The resurrection and angels. The resurrection and angels. And so when they, they came saying, he's alive. These religious leaders, they hated that message. They hated the apostles. That's when in Acts chapter 7, Stephen comes along, a deacon who has just been ordained as a deacon, a man full of the Holy Spirit, A man who, to look upon him according to God's word, says, it's like looking at an angel. I think he just lit up the place. I think he was just so full of the Holy Spirit. It was just bright. And Peter in Acts, I mean, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he tells these religious leaders Exactly how doomed they were because of their unbelief. And when he started talking about the resurrection, they gnashed on him with their teeth and they picked up rocks to stone him. And Stephen says he, gave, he looked up And he saw Christ Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And when he said that out loud, what was that telling them? He's alive. They hated that message and they stoned him to death. A man 
filled with the Holy Spirit. To look at him was to look at an angel. They are without excuse. With John the Baptist, I think they denied God the Father. And with Christ Jesus, they denied God the Son. Here, with the stoning of Stephen, Israel is denying God the Holy Spirit. Three strikes, you're out. And that Christ standing at the right hand, every scripture, every scripture that refers to the Lord standing is in judgment. Is in judgment. Christ wasn't standing to receive the first Christian martyr. It's not what was happening. Israel was being judged. Israel was being judged. Chapter 7, we have him standing in judgment. The tribulation, the offer the kingdom was made. Israel rejects that offer. They stone Stephen. And the next chapter, lo and behold, in Acts, this historical accounting, we are introduced to the very one who gave the people permission to stone Stephen, the Saul of Tarsus. We are introduced to him. Chapter 9, you know what it tells us? This chief of sinners, this one who was rebelling, leading the rebellion against God, he is on the way to Damascus to haul more of these Jewish believers back down, away from Israel, away from the twelve, God in his infinite grace and mercy saves the chief of sinners. And to him, he's going to give a special revelation concerning this mystery. At the heart of that mystery, that God is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, Jew and Gentile. He's no respecter of persons. It's Paul who tells us that, but it's Paul that truly understands that circumcision avails nothing. Did it under Judaism? Oh, you bet it did. Circumcision avail, avails nothing. Water baptism was a Jewish ritual preparing them to be the nation of priests. All of those things connected to the nation of Israel. Today God offers salvation by grace. Because he loves and he's not willing that any should perish. He offers salvation to all who believes. Believes what's important? That he died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. You have no connection to Israel. The church is not spiritual Israel. The church is not a nation. You're a body. Why can't people see that clearly so that they understand what our marching orders are today and that is to be ambassadors for Christ, members of the word of reconciliation, understanding that the glorious truth about this resurrected one, the one that Acts is all about, is that in him, in his death, burial, and resurrection, God the Father is, has, has reconciled the world unto himself through what Christ Jesus accomplished on Calvary's cross. Salvation is offered to all because of the finished work of Christ. From God's perspective, from God's perspective, salvation is offered to all. Not all 
by faith are going to believe. Matter of fact, the large majority is going to say, no, we don't want it because man is his own God. But from God's perspective, there's not a single man that can stand and say, God, you didn't give me a chance to be saved. Oh, I, I paid. Every sin has been dealt with. The payment in full for all men has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sin. People will not go to hell. People will not go to hell because there's because sins have not been paid for. Sins have been paid for. They're going to go to hell because they reject the one who paid that debt. I mean, they're still, they're still held accountable for their sin. Don't get me wrong. They're still held accountable. And can you imagine how horrible it's going to be to spend eternity in hell knowing that your sin was paid for? In full? Oh, that in itself is going to make hell. Hell. Knowing my sin was paid for and I rejected the one. And I pray this morning there's not a single person here that has rejected, continues to reject. Because God is able to save you to the uttermost. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we're thankful for your amazing love and your amazing grace. We thank you for that plan of salvation that was hid in you. But Father, from Genesis to Revelation, what we realize, what we see is your amazing love, your amazing desire to be connected, to have fellowship with your creation. Father, we stand in amazement. Father, we stand in awe of you. And Father, we're thankful for the extreme measure you went in order to purchase our redemption, all men who by faith trust you can spend eternity with you. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the joy and privilege to be counted worthy of sharing that truth with a lost and dying world. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, Father, by faith they are going to believe that you died for them. Payment in full has been made. And will trust you for forgiveness and life eternal. We pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.